coming up on One Day at a Time, also known as ODAT. TJ always gets seen as a threat before he's bright. And as his mom, that hurts so much. But the part that hurts the most is the pain that my son one day will feel when he actually knows all of this is going on. When all of this begins to happen to him, when he's 14 or 15, and he begins to process it as racism. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Karina F. Daves. On One Day at a Time, we discuss the essentials and tips for the everyday woman and how to achieve your best life. Not just because you deserve it, but come on now, you were made for more. If you're new to the show, we have conversations with folks that I like to call the true hustlers of the world. Each episode dives into the heart of the guests and provides our listeners with balancing tips, the roadmap to navigating relationships, and demystifies the idea that we're supposed to be perfect. This series is dedicated to all the mothers who feel like they lost themselves. I'm here to remind you that you are worthy, you are well, you are beautiful, and your dreams and your goals still matter. The spark still lives inside of you. My hope is that through these episodes, something will be revealed to you. I love you, mama. If you're wondering how to start your own goals this year, or even a podcast and just need the guts and a bite-sized plan to get it started, feel free to visit my website at KarinaFDaves.com and contact me there. Or just come to Instagram at my handle, KarinaFDaves, and shoot me a message. And don't forget to rate, review, and share this podcast con todos tus amigos. Listen to this bonus episode added to the More Than a Mom series featuring my story on navigating the education system with my son, TJ. All while working a full-time job, being pregnant, being a wife, being a sister, and just being a human being and navigating it all. I'll share with you every single thing I've had to pull out that has made me more than a mom. I am so grateful for all the moms that decided to join me on this series, More Than a Mom. I love you so much, Chica, and for every single mom listening, this is for you, Mama. Hey amigos, welcome to the bonus episode for the More Than a Mom series featuring me, your host, Karina F. Daves. I'm so excited that you're able to make this episode and listen with an open heart to a story that has been difficult to tell over and over again. But it would be remiss of me to not share my perspective of being more than a mom and my story. I'm a pretty straight shooter. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I love to get straight to the point. I do not like to beat around the bush and say a whole bunch of fluff. So here it goes. When I was 15 years old, I started having dreams of what my family would look like. I dreamt a lot about having three boys. It was a dream that was very profound. Um, And I remember feeling like the Holy Spirit guided me um, to that dream. Like it was just very deep. And so I knew for a very long time that I was going to have children. I felt it in my heart and it was something that I desired. Nothing ever that was forced on me by my family. Pretty interesting. My family forced a lot of education and marriage, but didn't really get to the children part yet. When I was growing up, I realized that there was a lot of toxicity in my family. While I forgave a lot of the divorce and financial instability early on, I found myself 
judging a lot of that in my later years, judging that my family had not set up a better stable ground for me. And I remember thinking of all the things that I wanted to do for my kids, but it was sort of a little bit out of spite kind of saying like, I'm going to do this because you didn't do it for me. And about two weeks ago, I went into a clubhouse room and um, there was a woman named Dulce. And Dulce, if you're listening, thank you so much for what you did. She started talking about how her family, you know, may have been unstable, but that she feels a commitment to be there for her mother and that she feels like that first step was forgiveness. And as soon as she said that, I felt this weight lift off my chest It was as if I had found the missing piece. You know, I preach so much about forgiveness. But when you forgive the people closest to you, I mean, it is just with a deep amount of energy and love. And so in that moment, she helped me forgive my family for a lot of things. And what I why I say it's the missing piece is because if you know me or you're close to me, I talk a lot about breaking the generational cycle of toxicity the habitual lying, the habitual just mess ups and whatever happened in my family's past generation. I talk a lot about how we don't talk about it. And my sister Stacy and I are basically the only people that talk about it and how we constantly say like, this is why our family is the way they are. But I couldn't really get through that because there was a part of me that was still judging it and using it as the basis for bettering my own family. And I say that because there's so many things that come up as I'm mothering now that I realize I have to make sure that I'm coming from a place of impact, that I'm coming from a place of wanting a change for the next generation, but from a humble place, rather than I'm going to show you that I can do this better place, if that makes sense. When we had TJ, who is also Terrence Jr., he was amazing. I mean, TJ was the best baby you will ever meet. Um, I remember talking to a lot of women uh, in my circle at that time who had already had kids, and they were, you know, telling me a whole bunch of advice. And to be honest with you, one of the things that worked with TJ was sleep training him. Um, You know, he wasn't like you know, crying it out and throwing up or anything like that. That's, you know, he just tagged on very fast, sleeping through the night at nine weeks. And he was such a good baby. Like he was always happy. Um, You know, you could literally babysit the kid and never complain. When he was about eight months old, I believe Terrence and I went on our first couple's trip after our baby. We have this thing where we go on one couple's trip per year, one girl's trip and one guy's trip separately, and then one family trip. And so we wanted to keep our word on it. And we had an amazing time and TJ did very well. When I went back to work, I didn't feel like TJ really needed a curriculum-based daycare because he was like four months old. So I had him at a babysitter's house and she was amazing. But by the time he was one and a half, he started showing signs of wanting classroom experience. He, once he got his tubes in his ear, he could just, he was just talking way too much. (laughs) And you could tell that he really, really needed to be somewhere that was challenging him. 
And so we started our tour of a whole bunch of facilities and being put on a whole bunch of wait lists. And we went to this one facility in Jersey and I was just blown away. Like there were um, websites and, you know, apps that I could log into and see pictures and they were going to teach him sign language and Mandarin and Spanish. And there was all these toys and like everything was just super on point. He was a year and a half old and about a couple of months into it, I realized that there was like a really high turnover rate where teachers were just coming in and out. And in one of the pickups, one of the teachers was complaining in the hallway that the number of students in her classroom were just way too high. And so I approached the directors and I said, you know, I bumped into one of your teachers who is really anxious about a high number of kids in her class and TJ's about to be in her class in a month and I don't want my son to be in an overwhelmed classroom. So at that time, it just seemed like they really were upset that I had caught that interaction. And I actually didn't see that lady like two months later, which was pretty interesting. The school, if you've ever had a daycare, they have incident reports. So if your kid falls, if your kid you know, trips or scratches himself or somebody else, they do an incident report and then they have parents sign it off. So after um, that meeting with the teacher, my son had an incident where he was going down the slide and he wanted to go first. So he bit one kid in the ear um, and I guess the kid bit back. I don't remember the incident too much, but anyways, that happened and we got a phone call and I mean TJ must have just turned two so after that everything was just sort of different it wasn't as loving anymore and I kind of felt a bit targeted and I really wasn't saying much but at the end of the day I was kind of like all right I'm not really going to blame it on the fact that he's the only black boy in the classroom just yet because he's only two And so he had one teacher who loved him a lot. And I remember the day that she left, I got in my car and I just started sobbing because I felt like nobody was actually going to be in that school to defend him anymore. And I was right. After she left the school, we ended up having a whole bunch of meetings in the director's office. I mean, like, with my son who's two, about to be three, and asking me all these questions about him and his behavior. And I'm like, TJ's never acted like this before. I don't know what could be going on with him. Um, You know, you guys are making us sign so many incident reports about very, like, minute things. And I kind of don't understand where all this is coming from. And so they would make us sign a whole bunch of stuff to the point where TJ had about 70 incident reports in a six-month period. And I was at dinner with a girlfriend of mine, Jahida, if you're listening. And I get a phone call from my husband who says, they're expelling TJ. And I said, what? And I, they got me on speakerphone. And I'm like, how did you guys come to the decision to expel my son? And he said, well... We put all of the kids in a circle around your son and we asked everybody 
if they want TJ in the school. And in front of your son, everybody said no. And I went crazy. I went off. And if you know me, I don't curse a lot. And I cursed up a storm. And I said, you are racist. You are biased. My son has been the only black boy in that class for over a year now. And the last six months, you have treated him like crap. And I don't understand why. I don't understand why you are targeting my son. And how dare you do that to him? And so we had a couple, you know, exchange of words. And I called a different daycare who I had toured before. But see, here's the thing. When when you're putting your kid in a daycare, you want all the glitz and all the glam. And what I've learned personally is that places cannot have the glitz and the glam, but they can be one of the most loving places ever. And so I had toured this daycare that really didn't have cameras or glitz or glam, but they closed early at like 5.30. And I called her crying and I said, I have nowhere to put my son. I, I told her everything that happened. And she said, just bring him. And so I brought him the next day and she took him with open arms. And again, it wasn't glitzy or glammy, but they loved him so much there. But I could not keep up with their pickup time. So I had put him on a waiting list for a glitz and a glam school <laughs> that was open later. And let me tell you something. It was like farm meat city. It was beautiful. It, there was greenery everywhere. They like went for walks and they looked at cows and farm animals live. And I was just like, this is amazing. And I remember when I had him at that daycare that wasn't glitzy and glammy, I felt like he he was finally safe, like he wasn't too much. But when I unfortunately had to pull him out, the new daycare sold me on a play-based model. And I immediately was like, I'm in. So the first couple of months went really great when he was in the three-year-old classroom. And his behavior when he was at the previous school that loved him a lot had changed drastically. He wasn't rude anymore. He wasn't abrasive. Um, he wasn't, um, you know, he just wasn't as antsy. When TJ transitioned to this new school, he was already potty trained. About five months in, he started wetting himself during nap time. And I was like, that's really weird. Like he's never been like that. And so when he transitioned to the age four classroom, there was a feeling that my son was seen as not cute anymore and bubbly, but he was seen as a monster. And I know that's a heavy weighted word, but I can't describe it any other way. Every time I walked into that classroom, I felt like he was being seen differently. And it wasn't anything I was making up in my mind. I have a lot of examples to prove that. But I felt like his teacher by no means ever could feel that my son in her world could be fixed. And so it started again. The phone calls, the multiple times to the school, 
removing him daily. And then they asked for a meeting. So before the meeting, I had asked TJ what was going on. And in his like little voice, I could tell that he himself didn't like his teacher. And I kind of didn't like her either, but I was like, whatever. And we get into the meeting with his teacher and the director. And the teacher pulls out this notebook. She opens it up and it has a calendar. And she says, on September 18th at 1 p.m., he did not want to come back to circle time. And then later that day at 4 p.m., he, you know, didn't put a book back or something. Like it was a list of all these things that he did not do. And so we sat there and we listened. And before the meeting, we had prayed and I had asked God to please allow us discernment to see what is really going on in this school. And so I let the teacher finish and I grabbed her hand and I said, let's just call her Miss Becky. I said, Miss Becky, you're the expert and you're with my son all day. What is it that you think is wrong with him? And her entire chest and face got red. And she said it through her teeth. He just doesn't like discipline. (laughs) And I pulled my hand back. And I looked at my husband. And we said, we got to get him out of here. And the director said, well, have you guys ever thought of medication? Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And I said, listen, like, I'll I'll try therapy. Like, if anything, he probably has gone through so much trauma at this point that he probably would benefit from some type of therapy, art therapy, children's therapy, but I'm not going to put him on medication just yet. And she goes, well, you shouldn't really be opposed to it. It could really help him calm down. So the entire daycare has glass walls, and you can actually see all the other kids. And don't you know, girl, I walked down And all these kids are literally jumping up and down outside the circle. And so I pull the director and I'm like, none of these kids are sitting at circle time patiently. Why are you just pointing out TJ? And they're like, oh, this just must be a one-off thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's clear. Look at these kids. Look at that one. He's hopping like a frog. The other one's by the other glass, you know, um, window. The other one's over there. Like, is TJ the only one that's asked to, you know, come to the office and be disciplined and all of that? And she couldn't tell me that due to policies or whatever. At that time, Terrence and I decided that we needed to transition TJ out as quickly as possible. And so the next day I had gone to work, but there was sort of this mom intuition that I'm sure if you're listening and you're a mom, you know what I'm talking about. And something inside of me said, go see your son for lunch. And I was like, that's so weird. Okay. So I called the school and I said, Hey, what time do you guys sit down for lunch? She said, it's in in about an hour. So I showed up nine months pregnant and I go in And my son ends up being the leader of the day. And it ends up being the kid who like gets to be in front of the line, gets to serve everybody their utensils for lunch. And so when I walk in, there are about four tables. And my son is sitting alone at a table. And so I look at Miss Becky and I'm like, I look at her. She looks back at me. I asked TJ, I said, TJ, are you 
by yourself at this table and the teacher yells over, only for today, all those kids are out today. And I look back at her like, at this point, you're freaking crazy for believing your own lies. I'm not going to believe you that all five, six kids that are supposed to sit at this table just happen to be out today. If anything, you've isolated my son during lunch. How dare you? And so I sat there and I ate a burger with my son and I enjoyed the fact that he was a leader of the day. But I share that with you because it's an example of how even 30, 40, 50 year olds in you know, the education system can go so low to isolate a baby. You know what I mean? To isolate a child. That is really low. So after that, I removed TJ and we moved to the town that we live in now, which is Lawrenceville. And I moved him to a daycare that was a couple blocks from here, from our house. The first day that TJ went to this school, he was thrown in the sand. He was pushed in the sand and pushed. And we spoke to the director about it and they said, you know, we're working with this other kid who's pretty, you know, sometimes violent. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll talk to his parents. I said, all right. So I said, but listen, like my son's not going to forget that he was pushed down. Like now he's going to go into fight mode when he comes back. I'm just letting you know because that was his first impression. And so about a month in, the phone call started coming in. You have to come get TJ. TJ's not acting well. TJ's this, TJ's that. Again, TJ at that point was either the only black boy or one of two. I do believe he was the only one, though. And so I am nine months pregnant at this point. I forgot to tell you that part. And we go into the office with my husband, and the director says to us, listen, we're a play-based model school, and you have basically two days to leave our school, or a week, I think she gave me, I can't recall. She gave me some time to leave the school, but I'm going to tell you something. I do believe that your child is bored. I do believe that he, he needs more and we cannot give that to him. And I said, well, where do I take him? She goes, well, try, you know, she named a school in her in a couple minutes. She goes, I said, but you know, I don't know if I can afford it. And so I take TJ with me. We walk into this school with my nine month belly and I sit down with the director I tell her everything I just told you, and she says, don't worry about it. We have directors here who also have sons just like you, and he's going to be safe here. And I said, really? <laughs> she said, yes. And I said, okay. Um, and I remember just like feeling like he was finally safe because the problem with the other daycare that he that I was getting kicked out of was that while I I really appreciated that director for being transparent with me I never really felt like they liked me like you know when you walk into a place and people look at you cuz you're brown that's how I felt and it wasn't and I and I generally don't feel like that but to be honest with you that's how I felt and also because there was many incidents, my son actually has a scar on his chest and on his back 
from um, and his face from being pushed around at that daycare. And miraculously, the incident reports are nowhere to be found. But all of the incident reports against TJ for fighting back are there and were caused to get him kicked out. Now, I'm pretty sure your blood is boiling or you're like, what the you know, heck is going on at this point? But this was honestly me at the front lines of, um, of just, I just, how could they do this? How could the system just be so broken? You know, how could the system be so broken to a baby, to a freaking baby? Like, that's the reality of it. He's a baby. And so while all of this is going on, I'm trying to give birth. And somebody suggests that we go to the Board of Education to get him tested. And here I go. I'm about to give birth in like a week. I walk in the room with TJ and there's like a committee of eight white women. And I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. Nobody's going to believe me. And I end up telling them the story. And I, I, I literally prayed. I said, Jesus, please let me tell this story and let them see. Let them see him for who he actually is. Let this time be different. And so I gave them everything I just told you. They paused a lot for all of the shocking parts. And at the end of the meeting, they agreed to have him evaluated. Now, <laughs> they were going to evaluate him while I was going to give birth. When Levi was 10 days old, I had to come back for the results of the evaluation when it was complete. And I mean, they were just awesome women. What they basically told me was that TJ was a 14-year-old living in a four-year-old's body. So he's either going to piss you off because he's going to say something that's going to hurt your 30-year-old feelings, or you're really going to love him because he's super intelligent and smart and to the point. I don't know where he gets that from. <laughs> and he scored very high in a lot of areas like math and reading and writing um, and being able to just verbalize and have conversations. He scored really high in a lot of areas. And so they said, you know, we really do recommend that someday Terrence be put in private school, but he really needs to learn social skills at this point. Because he needs to learn how to manage his triggers, how to manage his emotions. And if we ended up skipping him a grade or putting him in an advanced program now, he isn't mature enough to handle that. And so I took that what it was. However, <laughs> everybody was just so stunned at TJ's brightness and intelligence, but I've watched many other boys who did not look like TJ be as intelligent, but somehow TJ's intelligence was a threat. You know what I mean? Like these teachers just didn't have a tough skin for a 14-year-old brain because it came from a little black boy. Now, as his mother, don't you think that a part of me already knew that he was smart? that he was intelligent, that he was savvy, that he was quick, that he was a boss. <laughs> I knew that part. But my kid never, rarely gets seen as bright. TJ always gets seen as a threat before he's bright. And as his mom, that hurts so much. But the part that hurts the most 
is the pain that my son one day will feel when he actually knows all of this is going on. When all of this begins to happen to him, when he's 14 or 15, and he begins to process it as racism. No mother should ever have to go through any of this. And never in a million years did I ever think I would have to go through this with my baby. While I don't like it, I am prepared with Terrence Sr. to have those no hoodie at nights conversations. But tell me, how do I have this conversation with TJ? How do I have this conversation with a four-year-old? How? During that time, my role as his mother was his protector. I am more than a mom because I had to pull out so many things during that time. I had to pull out my education, my spiceness, my voice, all while being pregnant, by the way, towards the end. But I had to pull out all the cards and it was exhausting. At first, I politely advocated for Terrence. I'm not as polite anymore, I'll tell you that. There are plenty of studies out there that prove that my little brown boy isn't seen the same when compared to his classmates that are not black. And the saddest part is, who knows if he ever will. The worst is, the worst is not being able to control how other people see my son. The worst is thinking of the worst, to be honest with you. I am very much faith-driven, very much believe in the power of prayer and the power of protection. And I pray for my babies all the time, all the time. But the way this world is and the way it's heading and the things that are happening is even if TJ is technically, right, half Peruvian and half black. He's always seen as black, no matter what. And if you got in this far in the episode, I just want to ask that you don't call the cops on my baby. (laughs) That you don't shoot my baby. That if you see him running at night, Please don't call the cops on him. I just want to ask that you don't isolate my child in the lunchroom. Please don't document his every move. I plead with you. Please treat my son as who he's meant to be in this world. A child of God. A strong man one day. A father. Please don't keep him from being 
a great husband one day, a great father to his future children, a great grandfather to his future kids. Please, please don't take that away from my baby because he's a really good kid. He's a really good kid. And no kid deserves to be treated like TJ did. And to be honest with you, it's still happening. But I just haven't mustered up the strength to talk about it yet. Because every year and every month in the school system, it's more and more of a struggle. Just when you think you have a core group of people that believe in your son, there's always one or two that don't. And it's constantly fighting. It's constantly having a battle. And so today I tell you I'm more than a mob because I am a warrior. I am a warrior of strength. I put on the armor of God and I go to battle for my kids. And I don't care anymore. I don't care what you think of me. Because my mission is to be more than his mom. My mission is to be an advocate. My mission is to spread awareness. My mission is to spread the story. And I pray that the story read, reaches a lot of you and resonates with a lot of you. And that you think twice about every single black boy or student of color that you see or child of color that you see. That you think twice about them before you place any judgment on them. That you think twice. That you think twice. Thank you so much for listening to my story on my podcast, One Day at a Time, also known as ODAT, the place where I love to interview what I like to call the true hustlers of the world. I love you, and I pray that you never have to go through anything like this. Las quiero mucho. Ciao.